Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand now and let's open again to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke this morning. Last Sunday morning, we examined the first 13 verses of this wonderful chapter, which contains perhaps the Lord's most surprising parable. And what was surprising is that Jesus seems to hold up a man in the story, a character who was by all indications a crook. And the title of the message last week is a straightforward lesson from a crooked character. And we said the Lord did not endorse this man's dishonesty and greed, but he did teach us that we Christians should put at least as much thought and energy and effort into securing our heavenly future as this man did in securing the rest of his earthly existence. And that parable, like so many others, was fundamentally about stewardship, specifically one's attitude towards money. And the summary statement of Jesus about our relationship to money is found in chapter 16, verse 13, which says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Dr. Luke tells us that Jesus addressed this parable to his disciples. But as per usual, the Pharisees were eavesdropping on the conversation. You remember, the Pharisees were determined to catch Jesus in some sin or inconsistency. But of course, they never did because there is no sin, nor is there any inconsistency with Jesus because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so let's read about their reaction to our Lord's teaching on money. It begins in verse 14 of chapter 16. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable. The King James renders that an abomination in the sight of God. And the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of this, his word. Now the Bible teaches us that the Pharisees scoffed often at the teaching of Jesus. This is just one example. Many places in the scripture where Jesus would give a wonderful lesson, a wonderful sermon, and their reaction was to make fun of it. Now, I've provided the definition of a scoffer on your outline today. It's one who jeers or mocks or treats something with contempt. We've all known them. Those who stand safely away from the action and lob insults at those of us in the fray. We call them armchair quarterbacks. Monday morning play callers, those that belittle any thought that was not original to them. And don't we just love being around those kinds of people? Well, nearly everything that Jesus said and did in his public ministry was within earshot of what the Bible calls here scoffers. Now, specifically, the Pharisees were making fun of Jesus' teaching on money. And I think they were making fun of Jesus' teaching on money for the same reason most people make fun of anything. They simply did not understand what he was saying. 
See, the Pharisees also taught about money. And what they believed and taught about money is that you ought to give a certain percentage of yours back to God, which they called a tithe, which means a tenth. And in so doing, they felt like they had fulfilled their obligation to the law. Their duty was done. God was paid off, so to speak. But what was most important to the Pharisees about giving their money is that other people were aware that they did it. Uh, They used to make a big show and announce it, blow trumpets when they were about to give some money. Jesus rebuked them for that and told them that when you give alms, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. In fact, Jesus' entire point about money was not to let it capture your heart. He was talking about an attitude of stewardship of all material blessings that seeks to glorify God rather than self. But the Pharisees were all about self. Scripture says they loved the applause of men. And here in this section of Scripture, Dr. Luke reveals they loved something else. Look at verse 14. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money. So Jesus had stepped on their toes with his sermon about money. And and like a schoolboy who's on a field trip to a museum who doesn't understand great art, they make fun of it instead. Well, let's look this morning about how Jesus handles these scoffers, these mockers. Well, the first thing we have to do is is we have to recognize the reality of of scoffers. Scoffers are those that sneer at the word of God. They have existed since the book of Genesis. And Peter tells us they will continue right into the moment of Christ's return. Listen to the apostle Peter's words in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, know this, first of all, that in the last days, now we're living in the last days, that's since Jesus ascended into heaven until his second coming, that in the last days, scoffers, mockers will come with their mocking, following their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, And the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. Here's what he's saying. He says, if you hold up the truth of the gospel that Jesus died for sinners, that he died a literal bodily death and that he literally was placed in a borrowed tomb and that on the third day he literally arose from the grave and after 40 days he literally ascended to heaven and one day he's literally coming again for his church, you're going to be mocked by some people. They're going to scoff at that and belittle it and say it's foolishness. And Peter says it's just like in the days of Noah. God told Noah that he was going to judge the sins of mankind, told him to build an ark, preserve his family. Took about 100 years, we believe, for Noah to build this ark. And all the time I expect people coming by and saying, hey, Noah, how's that ark coming? Don't see any rain, not a cloud in the sky. In fact, the Bible said it had never rained up until that point. And those people laughed and jeered and mocked right up until that first big drop of rain hit someone right on the nose. He says that's the way it's going to be for those of us who proclaim the Lord's second coming. They're not going to believe it. They're going to make fun. And we found that to be the truth, don't we? There are those in our culture that identify as atheists. They say there's no creator, which means there's no sin problem. Therefore, there's no accountability and no savior needed. There are agnostics who say, we don't believe there's enough evidence to know if there's a God or not. And there are humanists that say, it really doesn't matter if there's a God, we don't need him. We can solve our own problems. Did you know that the fastest growing self-identifying religious group in America on every survey I'm aware of 
is called the nuns, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. Those that say, what is your religious affiliation? They say, none. I have none, no belief system. And the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The Bible calls scoffers fools. Now, Jesus, of course, has a great advantage over all of us in dealing with scoffers. He's omniscient. We're not. He knows men's motives. We do not. So we need to be very careful in ascribing the word scoffer to another person. So when this parable, though not addressed to the Pharisees, was scoffed at by the Pharisees, Jesus took the opportunity to now turn his attention to them. And in verse 15, he said to them, to the Pharisees, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your heart for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. And here we find the reflex response of all scoffers. Every person who is a scoffer, when they hear the word of God proclaimed, their reflex response, they don't have to think about it. They don't have to plan it. It comes as natural as breathing to them. When a scoffer is confronted with the word of God, they justify themselves. That is, they give a thousand reasons why the preacher, in this case, Jesus, couldn't possibly be referring to them when he speaks of sin and sinners. Now, the immediate context of this text, as we've said several times already, is Jesus teaching about money, stewardship. So how did, in what way, were the Pharisees guilty of justifying themselves concerning money? Well, simply put, through legalism. This was the air they breathed, the, the strict mechanical, technical keeping of the law. Jesus said, he, he'd give them this, they had a zeal for God, but their heart was far from him. They had a technical adherence to the mechanical keeping of the law, but it was not based on what God had done or through grace. It was, it was just trying to keep up appearances. We know this because of something Jesus said in Luke eleven forty two. If you want to flip back just a few pages, you can find it quickly. Luke eleven forty two. Jesus is again railing against the Pharisees. He, he rebuked no one like he rebuked the Pharisees. In fact, in chapter 11, he pronounces a woe and a curse upon the Pharisees. And here's what he says in Luke eleven forty two. But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Now, Jesus is not, again, rebuking tithing. We saw last week that it's a good way to learn to be generous. It's not to be an ending point, but a beginning point. I've told you many times that my family and I practice tithing. What he is rejecting here is the pharisaical notion that tithing justifies sin. Tithing never justifies sin, nor does any law ever justify sin. That was not the purpose of the law. Purpose of the law, Paul tells us, is to serve as a great mirror to our souls. It shows us we're dirty, impure, and undeserving of heaven, but it has no ability to clean us up, to forgive us or, or make us pure. So what the law does in, evidence, uh, in essence is to condemn us, not save us. And the Pharisees didn't understand that, so they made fun. And it seems as if they did the same thing in other important areas of their life other than money. And that is evidenced by verse 18, which seems to just 
be dropped into this passage out of nowhere. The first 13 verses are about money and stewardship. The verses that come after verse 18 are a parable about money and stewardship. And then there's verse 18, which says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. And it's so different than what he's saying on either side of it. Many commentators have said this must have been some sort of error in the transcription, but I don't believe it is when you understand the context. So back up to verse 15 and understand the context in which Jesus says this to the Pharisees. And it begins the second half of verse 15 after a semicolon. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable, is an abomination in the sight of God. Now think for a moment, what does it mean to be highly esteemed among men? What do men, lost people I take it, highly esteem? Well, they esteem human achievement. That's what secular humanism is all about. If there is a God, we don't need him. And the Pharisees, though they gave lip service to a love and adherence to God, really their life was about personal achievement. And so what is highly esteemed in the eyes of men, personal human achievement, really comes down to the way the Pharisees lived their life, which was by self-justification. Remember, Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourself, but God knows your heart. In verse 16, he goes on, he says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees dealt with the old covenant, the law, what they called the Mosaic law, the law that God gave Moses every day of the week. They studied it. They commented upon it. They wrote books about it and they dared to teach its meaning to others. But overall, they failed to see that all of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus that the law was never intended to justify, rather to accuse and to condemn. And Jesus came not to do away with the law, he says here, but to fulfill the law, which is a concept that's hard to grasp. And, and so I reached out to some of my trusted pastor friends this week and said, what do you think this verse means? And they had various opinions, but uh, one that I really respect is uh, Dr. Michael Waldrop. And he said this, Jesus didn't abolish the law but Jesus was its goal. Without him, there would be no salvation. And so that's what the Pharisees failed to see. Those who knew the law the best should have seen in the law that we can't keep it and we need a savior. And so when the savior showed up on the scene, John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Instead of embracing him as the savior, the Pharisees rejected him as a liar or a demon-possessed man. So what in the world does this have to do with marriage and divorce? Well, the Old Testament had laws about most everything, including money and including marriage and divorce. And this particular passage I believe Jesus is commenting on is Deuteronomy chapter 24. You know that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. God gave him the law. And Deuteronomy 24 reads like this, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. 
And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again. So it's a simple teaching. If a man divorces his wife because of some impurity is what the Hebrew says in her, and she um, is divorced from her second husband, the first husband is not allowed to remarry her because he's already said she's impure. Just a very simple statement. Now, realize something here. God was not endorsing divorce in Deuteronomy 24, nor does he in, in any passage of the scripture. In fact, the clearest statement of all about divorce and God's attitude for it is in the book of Malachi, where he says, behold, I hate divorce, says the Lord. But he also knows that we are weak and frail and sinful. And he recognizes the reality of divorce. And so I think he's seeking to regulate it here. I think primarily for his glory, but also for the protection of women who in that society could be dismissed out of hand and had little legal or economic recourse. He's not saying divorce is good. Focus in on one phrase here in Deuteronomy 24. He says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent, impure in her, that, that's serious sin. But here's what the Pharisees had done. They had diminished the meaning of this verse through their teachings and commentaries on it until by the time of Jesus' day, marriage was held in very low esteem. And the Pharisees were practicing it this way. So a Pharisee would get married, his wife would get a little older, not be as beautiful as she once was, and he would interpret something indecent in her as some crow's feet around her eyes. And he would give her a piece of paper and say, I divorce you, you're free to remarry. And then he'd go marry a younger model. Or there's even examples of Pharisees whose wives habitually burned his supper. He found this to be indecent and he would divorce her. And so here's what Jesus is saying. You should not have a lower view of marriage, you ought to have a higher view of marriage. And this is what he's saying is, is until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle, not one mark of the law is going to be dismissed. So Jesus didn't come to do away with the moral law. We Christians still shouldn't kill our neighbor. Would you agree? We Christians still shouldn't covet. We shouldn't commit adultery. But the Pharisees were saying, well, wait a second, Jesus, we're not committing adultery. We've been married half a dozen times or more. But every time we give that piece of paper, we fulfill the law. Jesus says, you justify yourselves, but God knows your heart. That's what he's saying. And that's just one example. He's not picking on divorce. As every pastor who's ever preached this pastor is and will be, I'm prepared for that. I'm not picking on divorce. This is what Jesus says our hearts are capable of no matter what area of our life needs introspection. We are capable of becoming a Pharisee. I'm saying that sermon isn't for me, it's for someone else. That's what the Bible calls scoffing. And so the Pharisees held a very low threshold for divorcing their wives. And technically they could say we've not broken the law. As I said last week when we talked about generosity and giving your money away, Grace always requires more than law. Jesus ushered in a covenant of grace. And in the area of money, he says, it's not enough to give 10%. All of it belongs to the Lord. 
It's not enough to, to say, I, I did my duty. I did my math correctly. He wants you to understand that he wants to change and transform your heart to make you a truly generous person. And it's the thing, same thing with marriage. It's not just meeting some lowest common denominator or threshold to stay married. He wants your marriage to be everything that he wants it to be as a reflection of his glory because marriage is his idea. It reflects the father's love for his church. But he doesn't even stop with the Pharisees and their writs of divorcement. In another passage in the New Testament, he says, I say unto you, thou shalt not commit adultery. But if a man looks upon a woman to lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Grace has a higher standard than law, dear friends. John 1.17 says this, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad of that? See, the law didn't offer any grace. The law said you're guilty. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. We're all guilty. Jesus comes along and says you are guilty, but I died for sinners. And so here is the response to scoffers. How should we living today in a world surrounded by scoffers respond to them? We'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is one of uh, the pastoral epistles. The other being 1 Timothy and the other Titus. Titus and Timothy were two young men that Paul personally trained and mentored. And Timothy was placed as pastor of the First Baptist Church of Ephesus. And he was a young man and prone to anxiety, worry. Paul would write to him, giving him encouragement, advice. 2 Timothy 3 says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, all they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Does that sound vaguely familiar to you? Could have been cut and pasted from today's USA Today. That's how relevant it is. He says, avoid scoffers, Christians. And that's a difficult passage in and of itself because we know we're left here on planet earth as Christians not to be recluses. That's one of the choices we face, don't we, as we see our culture on a steady declension, especially those of us with small children. My, my instinct is to gather them around me and buy 20 acres of land in Montana and build a 30-foot wall. I have to resist that because I remember Jesus says that you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth and you don't cover the light with a bushel basket. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so we don't have the option of, of totally removing ourselves from the world and so that can't be what he means because if we were to be totally avoiding scoffers, we would have to live in soundproof cells. What he's saying is don't take your cues, your advice, don't be influenced like a scoffer lest you become like them. 
just a few months, we're going to graduate yet another senior class around here. And on May 24th, I believe it is, we'll have our graduate recognition service. And at their luncheon, I'm always asked to speak and I'm glad to do it, but I don't have to wonder what I'm going to say. I've been preaching the same message for 20 years. It's Psalm 1, which says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And that's what happens. Doesn't happen overnight. So what happens is you're, you're a Christian, you're walking in the world, and, and you're determined to do it the Lord's way. You go off to college and... A professor you really admire is an evolutionist. And another professor that uh, has six degrees on the wall tells you that your pastor's backward and illiterate. And that may be the only truth he'll tell you the whole four years you're there. <laughs> but then he tells you that the Bible's not true. And before it, you're not just... Uh, walking where others who are scoffers walk, you're standing with them. You're listening to what they have to say. And before you graduate, if you're not careful, you're sitting where they sit. You're believing what they believe. Paul says, Timothy, don't you do it. You avoid those people. David goes on in verse 2 and he says, but instead the man of God's delight is in the law of the Lord. Be careful friends, that you don't become a scoffer. How? It's by obeying the word of God when you hear it. You see, these Pharisees had heard the word of God over and over, and rather than making them malleable and soft when the Messiah showed up, they had become what Jesus called stiff-necked and stubborn. Because God had not struck them dead every time they committed an act of heresy, they thought they were okay. And they form calluses. And when God poked them with the sharp stick of the word, they couldn't feel it any longer. And if we're not careful, that's what will happen to us. He says, don't do that. Avoid scoffers. Avoid being a scoffer. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. There may be someone here today and you've spent a good portion of your life as a scoffer. You've made fun of your backward parents or grandparents who believe the Bible's all true. Maybe you think we're all a little beneath you, those of us who believe that Jesus is literally coming again one day. But maybe right now, as you've heard it now, it makes a little more sense. And I take that that the Holy Spirit may be taking this proclaimed word and impressing it upon your heart and convicting you of sin don't turn away. That is the Lord kindly offering you salvation. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That includes Pharisees. That includes scoffers and mockers and those that have spent their entire life making fun of the beliefs of others. And so friends, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day of salvation. Turn away from anything and everything else that you have heard and, and trust and bow your knee to the Lordship of Jesus. To come to Christ, you have to do so in His terms. With empty hands and outturned pockets. Stop justifying yourself. You can't. 
Stop saying I'm better than my neighbor. Who cares? You're not perfect. You fall short of the glory of God according to Romans 3.23 just as I do. And your only hope is the mercy and grace of the Lord. Come to him. Repent of sin. Bow your knee. Receive salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. It's a hard word today. It addresses some things we just as soon not talk about. But Lord, I, I thank you for your word because all of it is true. And it is trustworthy and it is sufficient and it is what we need. And so Father, I address uh, this message to all of us. Sinners all, adulterers, covetous people, liars, murderers. Well, I'm grateful for the words of that song. Your mercy is more than all of that. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray today that you would bring some lost soul to salvation. And I pray for every Christian in the room, Father, that we would be reminded as we are surrounded daily with scoffers and mockers, not to stand with them or walk with them and certainly not to sit down where they sit. Father, help us to hold tightly to the word of God till we die or Jesus returns. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org. Thank you.